A reading from John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And from Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Thank you, Bill. This is the third uh, of a series that we're doing at the moment on really looking at the path that we take in our lives. Um, At the beginning of the year, we looked at the idea of the narrow gate, the idea that we're offered a place to go through that is different from the way that the world moves. As it said in that reading, I don't give as the world gives, but I give in a different way. That narrow gate, that gate that went into the temple the priests used to use, that narrow gate that leads to wholeness. And we looked at the the entrance into that wholeness by taking that path into that narrow gate. And then last week we looked at the idea of the golden thread, The idea that when you take that path into the narrow gate, there's then actually a thread in your life that if you can find it, it always exists, but you can follow it. And in the following of it, you arrive, and this is what we're going to talk about today, at that point of peace. And I think it's interesting uh, whether or not you actually recognize that path. Um, the lessons just keep coming back. I don't know if you notice that when, uh, you know, when, when you're asked to learn a lesson in your life and you don't do that, you, you avoid a particular lesson, it seems that that lesson does come back to us in another form. And we're continually asked to learn particular lessons. And if we don't learn them, we do tend to find that they come back to us. And here I am faced with the same decision of commitment, or whatever it is that the lesson is that we're asked to learn. And I think that's sort of evidence again of the fact that there is a thread, that each of us has a unique path in our lives. And I don't, I don't believe, you know, that phrase that, they, that you know, you hear a lot, which says, you know, God has a perfect plan for you. And I don't, I don't actually believe that. I don't believe that there is a, a thing that Natalie has to do or, you know, Bobby has to do in their lives. And unless they do that, they're not filling the plan. I don't believe that. I think that, however, there is a uniqueness about our lives, each of us. And in fulfilling that uniqueness, we make a contribution to the world. And if we don't recognize that and we don't fulfill our uniqueness, then we avoid actually making the particular contribution that Ed has been put on the world for. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. People are not here just for no reason. There is a, an essence there that wants to be expressed. And I'm saying that once we find that, if we're, if we're able to touch into that uniqueness of our lives, then there's a certain peace. And it's the peace that passes all understanding that's mentioned in that second Philippian treaty. We know we're on that path when we experience the peace. And it's not to say that everything's going to turn out right. It's not. You know, our house is still going to be robbed. We're still going to get ill. Things, awful are things going to happen to us. But actually, in the living of our lives, in those awful things happens, there's somewhere we're at peace. And that's really what I'm going to, what I, I want to talk about today. Because actually, you know, peace is what everybody wants. You know, when you go to these sort of, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Miss World and things like that, but you know, when they ask, you know, what, what would you like? You know, they always say world peace. And they're right. You know, we know that they're right because actually that is what everybody wants. Everybody actually wants, even when you, you know, when you die, what do they say? Rest in peace. You know, it's that old thing, you know, pie in the sky. When you, 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 the argument is that if you don't get it now, you're going to get it you know, when you die. Because actually that is ultimately what everybody wants. Everybody wants peace. And the word is interesting. In the, in the Bible, the Greek word, it's pax, the word in Latin. In, in the Bible, the Greek word is irene, which means... Actually, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means safety, welfare, and prosperity. That, that's the actual meaning of the word. But you see, the thing is, the idea is different to every single one of us. Peace. I mean, to a mother, peace is the baby going to sleep. You know, to another person, peace is financial security. You know, that's what they're aiming for. They're aiming for financial security because they think that if they get that financial security, then they'll get peace. If you're a, a nation state, you know, peace is really freedom from civil disorder. You know, that's a, another definition of peace. And then you get the peace of people sort of sitting comatose on their, on their, on their lounges, watching Homeland. There's a, a peace there where they're just not connected to anything else. There's a piece. That, I like that piece, quite frankly. I love Homeland. I love to sit there. <sighs> I'm, you know, I'm so fed up with what's on television. I've gone back to the beginning of the West Wing. <laughs> I mean, my life was great. You know, I've gone back to the beginning. There's Jed Bartley. He's, he's president of my world at the moment. You know, <laughs> you know and you know, that, there's a piece in that. Uh, and there's also peace, you know, you know, when warring parties agree to the cessation of conflict. That's, you know, that peace, the idea of non-conflict. So for all of us, you know, peace has different sort of, we all have different ideas of peace. And do you know what we do in our lives? We, you know, tend to decide what our idea of peace is. And then we go for that particular idea that I will get my financial security because then I will uh, be at peace. You know, everyone has a different strategy attached to it. Every idea that each of us has of what peace is will have a different strategy attached to it, and we'll go for that strategy. But, you know, the, the terrible thing is that all the money in the world won't buy peace. You know, we know that from people who've got all the money in the world and more money than we've got, and they're, they're still not necessarily peaceful. You know, all the emotional security in the world 
which is what another thing a lot of us go for. All the emotional security in the world won't buy us peace either. And also, all you know, the security in the world, you know, won't achieve a, a sense of it. So, what is the essence of peace that really we should be seeking? If these various bits won't give us peace. You know, what is the peace that, you know, what is the best strategy for peace that we can come up with? And um, a bit of a tangent, but, you know, they always say you can't actually prove that God exists. Yeah, every single one of these books, you know, they, they say you can't actually prove because God is immaterial. And therefore, you know, they have endless arguments, particularly since, you know, the, the, the Enlightenment, you know, about how... There's nothing there that you can prove. And, and, you know, you get militant atheists who say that there's absolutely no proof whatsoever. And so I'm not going to believe in it. But I think you can prove that God exists. And I think it all comes down to quantum mechanics. Because, you see, I see that Didi's nodding her head there, which is good. It's always a good thing. Didi nods she knows about these things. Quantum mechanics. Really, what happening? Uh, uh, you know, uh, what happened in quantum mechanics? What they discovered is that they couldn't actually predict where the electron was going to be when they observed it. They couldn't predict when the, where the electron was going to be, and nothing that they tried to work out in terms of formula would tell them where the electron was in the particular experiments that they were doing. It was always in a different place. And then what they realised was that the observer the scientist was having an effect on the electron. And that actually, the one thing that in the scientific thing that they weren't taking into consideration was the impact that the observer had on the experiment as it was being done and and that the observer had an impact on the experiment. And what that told us in science was that to some extent science was relational. It was more 3D than that. It wasn't just about everything that was out there. It also included this whole Petri dish, which is ourselves, and that we have an effect on what happens out there. And there's a whole raft of things that you can relate to that. But for me, the existence of God is proved by the experience of perfect peace that we can achieve ourselves. You know, it's not achievable through emotional security. It's not achievable with financial security. You can't actually lay down what it is achievable through. But I'm suggesting that actually the way it, the proof of God existing is the fact that we can experience that perfect peace, that, there, that people can be in concentration camps and the most dire circumstances. And somehow there is a perfection, the somehow there is a peace that they can feel within that. And that peace is, transcends their circumstances. There is a transcendent nature of that peace. And, you know, this is a bit of a diversion, but I'm suggesting that, that tra- the experience of that transcendent nature, the experience of the truth, and it is an experience of fundamental truth, an experience of other as well as ourselves. And whatever you like to call God, and God's, a, you know, Anyone can tell you what God is, you can point as being a liar to start with. You know, who knows? We don't. We're not privy, but we are privy to an experience of transcendence sometimes. So I'm suggesting 
that that is the peace that we're talking about. It that is the essence of peace. Is that experience that transcendent experience that is the one that we need to talk about that actually does give us an experience of peace, unlike the idea of emotional security or financial security or the lack of conflict, which always ends up with not peace. But this is a different, and this is the peace that, in a sense, Jesus was talking about when he said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your lives. I mean, who doesn't worry about it? But he says, do not worry about your lives, what you eat and what you drink. You know, like the birds of the air, he gave that whole spritz about you know, can anyone add a single hour by, you know, by worrying about it? You know, Solomon was dressed, you know, in all his glory, but the lilies of the fields were dressed more beautiful than him. You know, don't worry about what we eat and what we drink, but seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all this will be given to you as well. And that really is the key. It is the seeking that transcendence. It is being on that golden thread is that key to that peace. And it really, if you look at it, the entrance into the narrow gate that we talked about in the first week is really the decision to participate with that transcendent nature. It is, it is an admitting of the existence of other, that there is an other other than ourselves, and that we're not just going down in the broad gate with everybody else. But there is something unique about our own lives, and we are going to commit to that spiritual life. And then the following of the golden thread is really the development of the relationship with that other. It is the development of the relationship with that other. And really, the golden thread, the following of that relationship, is the acknowledgement of, as I said this before, our two natures the nature of being both human and divine, which is what Jesus' basic message was, that there is a transcendent aspect to us all and a human aspect to us all. And really the following of the golden thread is the balance of those two natures, is trying to get that balance right. Do you know, before I, uh, last night I got rang up by, by Shelley Franklin saying, shall I do some flowers? And I always say, well, yes, I'd love you to do some flowers. And I didn't tell any of these two natures and she did on peace, and this is what she just produced. And it is the perfect example of the balance of these two natures coming together. That really is what following that golden thread is and what brings the peace is when we get the balance right between those two natures. Because, you know, a lot of the time, you know, we are either too reliant on ourselves and doing things in our own strength, or actually, the other thing is, you know, to become too reliant on, on, on leaving it all up to the spiritual side of things. I love that lovely story about uh, uh, the bloke that was, uh, you know, one of these floods somewhere in the south. And he was on his roof. And he, he, he said he was going to pray to God. God, please save me. I will do anything you want if you save me from this situation precariously. The water was rising and the water was rising. And he really heard in his heart God say, yes, I will save you. And so he sat on his roof and then a, a policeman came along and said, in a boat, and said, get, get in my boat now. I'm ready. You know, I can take away. He said, no, no, God's going to save me. That's fine. Don't worry about that. And uh, then a little bit, bit, bit further along, 
the fire brigade came along. He said, quick, come and get in our, on our ladder and on our boat. He said, no, it's all right. God will save me. And the water kept rising and rising and rising. He went above his side and then suddenly it was up to here. And he went down and he drowned. And he went up to heaven. He was pretty pissed. And he said to God, God, he said, look, you said you'd come save me. And God said, well, I did. I, first of all, I sent the police along. And you wouldn't go to them. And then I sent the fire brigade along. And it, the fact of the matter is we've got to do stuff ourselves as well as relying. It is all about the balance of those two natures. And, you know, we learn to be unbalanced. We were talking in our creativity class about the fact that most creative people, you know, are people who are under two when they analysed it. You know, the two, under two-year-old, they were, they were 98% creative. By the time you got to my age, they were 1% creative. The fact is, you just learn to begin with. You're just balanced and you just learn to do it all in your own strength. You learn to do it yourself all the time. That's what we're taught in our, in our entire life. It's up to you. You do it. And we have to unlearn that. That, that is what we have to unlearn to bring us peace. That it's, it's, it's not all up to us to do it. We have to unlearn, but we're terrified of letting go. We're terrified of... We want to just hold on to our control of everything because we think we're going to be okay. But we, actually, we really know that we're not. We're going to still end up in the doctor's clinic. We're still going to end up worrying about our health insurance. We're still going to, you know, we're, we're not going to be in control. But we find it so difficult, you know, that the fact that we, we hold on to our desires. We hold on to the things that we want we hold on to the things that we, that we think we need. Think of the things you think you need. We hold on to that. We hold on to promises of happiness, where we're going to get that from. We hold on to our possessions. We hold on to our image of who we are. We hold on to our ideas about what's right. We hold on to our theories We hold on to our beliefs. We hold on to our attitudes. We hold on to our judgments. We hold on to the past. We hold on to the future that we want. We hold on to our grievances, hold on to our fears. We hold on to our loves. We hold on to our lovers. We hold on to our money. We hold on to our thoughts. We hold on to our illusions. We hold on to our gods. We try to hold on to our bodies desperately. We try to hold on to our lives. We, we hold on all the time. And it's, we need the balance of letting go of that. It's an attitude. It really is a way of thinking. I came up, this, found this quote from Thomas Keating. He said, our biggest failures are often the greatest graces of our lives. To learn to be grateful for these failures brings the deepest peace and contentment that is available in the world. It's when you let go of that ideas of success, when you let go and you're willing to have those failures, you're willing to let things go apart. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give unto you. I do not give as the world gives, so let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. And we have to, you know, it's all come down to practice. It always does, really. But you have to practice letting go of this. You know, in a meditation practice, you know, the Master Eckhart's thing of, 
of being of wanting for nothing, which is not wanting a particular outcome, letting go of all the outcomes, and therefore willing nothing, not making things happen, and knowing nothing, wanting nothing, willing nothing, being willing to not know. That is the letting go. And of course, we can't do it all the time. When we're driving our car, if the police comes up to me and says, why did you run that red light? I don't know. I don't know why I ran that. I mean, you can't do that, you know. You can't do that. You've got to be in the game as well. You can't just let it all go. But you... But we hold on to so much. We probably hold on to 95% of the stuff and we let go for five. We let go the time we sit on our meditation cushion. And then the moment we get up again, we hold on to it hard again. I love that quote from B. Griffiths. He says, the goal of each religion is the same. It is the absolute transcendent state, the one reality, the eternal truth, which cannot be expressed and cannot be conceived. That is the goal of all religions. That is the golden thread that we're talking about. This is the goal not only of all religions, but of, wait for it, it is the goal of all human existence. Whether they like it or not, all men and women are continually attracted by that that transcendent truth. Whether we know it or not, the golden thread is always calling to us. Come, do what you're supposed to do. It's always calling to us all the time. And we're attracted to it. And the intellect, in and beyond every formulation which it seeks to express its thought, is in search of the absolute. It's in search of that ultimate truth. We're all in search of it all the time. That ultimate truth, B. Griffith says, is made for being itself, for truth, for reality. And the intellect cannot rest satisfied in any partial truth, in any construction of the human mind. It is always carried beyond itself to ultimate truth. And, you know, if we go through that on that golden thread, if we find that place of peace, it doesn't matter what disasters happen to us. You know, we, we still will get angry. We still will get upset. But we know that actually we can be with that thread. We can be with that. If we get the balance right, and, you know, it is a continual process, it is, you have to be reviewing it all the time in your life. You know, I mean, I don't mean every single second of the day. But when you're thinking about something and make it, you've got to think, you know, what, am I, what is right here? How much do I let go here? How much do I let go of this grievance that I've got and rest in the peace? And how much do I want to make something of it? And always in that situation, the answer is not to make something of it, but to rest in the peace. And by having that willingness just to look down to that golden thread all the time, it means you can be guided in your life. I mean, isn't that a relief? I mean, isn't, isn't the most, you know, the fact that someone will, is going to guide you in your life. I mean, isn't it the most lonely thing trying to work out what to do? But we, we can be guided, and we are guided, and we're guided by being willing to go towards that peace. That's really what guides us. And that, that peace is the measure like the, the existence of God, it is the measure. It is, you know, if, if we have one of those things where the needle goes, Ooh, it's when you get onto it, the needle towards peace goes, Ooh, and you know you're on it. You can feel yourself on it, even in those difficult circumstances. And you know it's okay, fundamentally it's okay. In there, it's okay. And you can die to that. Thomas Keating said dying is just, the absence of thought. The only thing you lose when you die, Thomas Keating says, is your thoughts. 
That's an interesting thought. The only thing you lose when you die is your thoughts. So it's a state of peace. This is what I'm suggesting. It's a state of peace where I can be totally at ease in my body, my mind, my heart and soul can relax. That's what we're talking about. It's a state in which I have no fear. You can say, oh, how can I? But actually, you can't get to that point. You know, perfect love casts up. But you can arrive at, even in a difficult situation, you know, if, you, if you're faced with dying, cancer, whatever it is, you can arrive at a state of no fear in that. It's a state of no fear. It's a state of forgiveness. It's a state of forgiveness where you let go of those angst that you've got. It's a state where love flows freely. This is what peace is, a state where love flows freely. It's an inner state of clarity in which we perceive truth. When you're on that thing, you do perceive that sense of truth. It's a state which I'm able to tell the truth without fear of judgment or rejection. If you're on that path, if you're in that place, you can tell the truth without fear of judgment or rejection. It's a state in which my ego mind is quiet. It's a state in which I know the essence of my consciousness to be the same as the essence of all conscious beings. And that is the state of peace. That, that, that is what everybody in the world wants. That's what people get their millions for. That's why they try and find partners. That's why they try and find relationships. It's a state that you can only really get to by letting go. It's not an achieved thing. It's a letting go into thing. Not even achieved by forcing your disciplines. It's in a letting go thing. It's just letting go, the wise one said. If you want to be at peace, if you want to feel the love of God in your heart, if you want to savor the present moment, then just let go of all the constraints you've put on yourself. That's all there is to it. Simple, isn't it? But oh, how difficult it is. Let's pray. In a sense, prayer is just a letting go of everything and opening yourself to being on that path. It's opening yourself. It's, it's about receptivity to God. We just pray that we may be receptive to what messages were given to be able to follow the path, the golden thread of our lives, to stay in that place of peace. And we pray for our world, that our world leaders may focus on that place of peace, that place of guidance, that place where they will be taken to the place where they can create peace for others. We pray for those not experiencing that peace at the moment. People in prison, at war, angry, upset, resentful. Pray for those who are ill. Pray that you will open people's eyes to see the place of peace in their lives. Pray for our town and valley today. Pray for all those on the mountains at the moment. Ski patrol, people visiting and skiing, people on the lifts. Pray for safety for travel. May this be a 
place of unique peace. And we also pray for those, particularly in our community. Pray for Tricia Nichols and Patricia Hill, for Royal Franklin, Will Welsh, Barbara Orcutt, Tegan Sullivan, Mary-Kate Brewster, Soleil, Lee Bouguet, Betty Van Der Veer, Gary Daniel, Ivan, Irene Goodbrood, Father Joseph Boyle, Patricia Overton, Bill Archer, Alice Davis's niece, Lindsay. Pray for Dee Dee and her family. Dee Dee was here today, just mourning the death of Elise. Also pray for Jill Sheely on the anniversary of her husband Don's death last year. I pray your blessing upon all these people, Lord, that you will bring peace into their hearts in whatever situations they're in. Amen.